Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 116. Welcome to Sidekicks and Side Quests, the Dungeons and Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Kiki Hayden's table in the Levitating Platter. <laughs> Welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests, the best unofficial Dungeons and Dragons podcast, in my humbly biased opinion. I've got a bit of a blast from the past uh, this week, but before I get to my mystery contestant, you know, I got to do my first ad read from my good buddies over at Plus One EXP. Now, you know that Tony Vicinda has developed this brand of beard balms and lip balms and uh, game design and community building and all this stuff. But Tony asked me specifically, he wanted to let you all know, give you the down low on the very new RPG Zine Club. It officially launched on the 5th of October. It's a golden age of indie and small press RPGs. For the last three years, Plus One has made it our mission to help new indie creators and small press imprints get their products onto tables worldwide. Our highest goal is to create more sustainable and equitable pathways to get games made and played. Now we want to take on our most ambitious product yet, RPG Zine Club. So what is it? It's a monthly membership subscription service featuring fresh zines from emerging and expanding creators across the globe. It's our way of inviting GMs, players, and zine lovers everywhere to invest more intentionally in the creative community. It's crowdsourced support without crowdfunding. So it's really cool. They've got monthly releases where they put out two, count them two, 20 to 44 page saddle stitch zines. There's three different flavors of membership, uh, story zine, adventure zine, or all of them. You can decide whether you want print and digital or just digital only for your favorite titles. There's the Clubhouse Discord, uh, which is a section of the online community for club members to discuss and play the new titles. Subscription guarantees you the best price for each title during the month it's released. Private subscription portal, a place where you can manage your subscription, add products, or change your information. You can change your frequency. Maybe you'd like it every month. Maybe you want it like every other month or every quarter or something like that. This system allows you to customize frequency of how often you'd like to be receiving new indie games. Like the uh, Pizza Hut Book It program, there's like a little punch card that'll come with your subscription. And if you fill out the RPG Zine Club passport and you redeem it, when you see Tony Vicinda at a convention, he will redeem it for a whole 
slice of pizza, I think is what he said. Maybe he'll splurge and he'll go for a whole pizza, but who knows? You know, they're trying to champion diversity, inclusion, and equity in their projects. Again, this is just a new awesome endeavor, and I just wanted to do my part to promote it. So the way that you can do that, go to rpgzine.club. You can also get that information over on the website, plus1exp.com. Make sure that you're following Plus1exp and Tony Vicenda on all the socials, Facebook, X, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Discord, Twitch, all that good stuff. If you need a promo code and you need to save some money, when you go to plus1exp.com, make sure you type in Randolph, R-A-N-D-O-L-P-H, in order to get some savings on your purchase at no extra cost to you. Again, the code's Randolph on the website, plus1exp.com. All right, I've kept everyone in suspense long enough. So hello, mystery contestant. Would you care to introduce yourself? Tell us who it is that you are and what is it that you do? Man, Pizza Hut, that's a blast from the past. I remember the Book It program. (laughs) Yeah, good stuff. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I'm Kiki Hayden. Um, So I'm a freelance writer right now, mostly journalism, but hopefully someday you'll see my name in fiction. I'm also a speech thinking and swallowing therapist at a local clinic here in Texas, and I work with both children and adults. That's awesome. And we go back because you were part of my original D&D group that I was running when I first moved to Dallas. Mm-hmm. That's actually how I met my husband. Yeah, there you go. D&D and church, you know, it brings all the best people together. Mm-hmm. Good times. And savvy listeners of the podcast may remember that you actually have gotten a shout out before back early, early days of the pandemic when I was like, I need more content for the podcast. I know I'll do in between week episodes and I'll share bits of my lore. And when I got to the part of like, oh, how do orcs in my homebrew world work? And I was like, well, Kiki's really kind of smart with this sort of kind of stuff. So maybe I should talk to her and get some pointers on this. I remember that conversation. I think you're doing a really great job, Kurt. So I was really honored that you asked my opinion. And since then, also previous guest of the show and my good friend, Catherine, she, in a game we were playing, she got to be a half-orc cleric character. And so it was really cool to get to share all these homebrew notes. I'm like, well, this is Lonk. And she is the goddess of trickery, but she also is this a goddess for half-orcs and like all these other interesting domain features and stuff. And she ended up picking a war domain cleric, which is really interesting then to discover the combination and the facets of like, oh, if your god maybe has these main domains they focus on, but actually just like Byzantine versus Roman Catholicism versus like Dominicans and Franciscans and all that stuff. It's like, oh, you just happen to be the war domain, but you serve this overall goddess, but you just happen to be the war domain. So that was really cool through you and some of our other mutual friends to then my player character, Catherine, getting to help expand the world of orcs and all that stuff in my world. I feel really good with how orcs have come out in the world of harmony. I love that. I love everything about what you just said. I know your listeners can't see, but I'm just like beaming right now. You're doing so awesome, Kurt. I'm loving it. And maybe not too subtle of a drop with the Patreon. I know a little early to be plugging it, but I do happen to know that one of the aristocratic levels, I've already released my homebrew notes on a special sub race or sub ancestry group of orcs, you know, based on all this world building. The assumption is like, okay, most of the orcs left the Feywild and they went to go to the main mundane world to, you mm-hmm. know, do war and stuff like that while the big apocalyptic war was going on. Well, what about the orcs that decided to remain? Well, obviously, if they're living in a realm that's the Feywild, it warps and changes and stuff like that. I feel like it would make orcs pretty alien. And so I kind of made like these more specifically Fey versions of orcs that exist that have like teleport powers and resistance to magic and stuff like that. That's so cool. Oh, I love that. (laughs) 
<laughs> so cool. Excellent. Maybe when we make a character later, you decide maybe that's the way you want to go. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We will have to see. Through time and space, you know, we've had a little bit of separation. I know that you hang your hat in a different part of the state, what with the pandemic and everything like that. And we got a, a chance to play a D&D game early on in the pandemic. And then that campaign has just kind of been on an indefinite cliffhanger, sort of like, I guess you all succeeded in getting the castle, question mark, even though the army was on its way. But we just kind of like sunsetted that a little bit, I guess, unintentionally. I'm not sure. Well, I absolutely love the arc that you wrote for my character. And I'm just like, like, whenever I think about it, I'm like, oh, Barbie is having so much fun right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, she had a half orc fighter uh, that was named Barbie. So that was mm-hmm. really fun. Short for Varvara. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and you insisted on wearing dresses underneath all of your armor. Mm-hmm. And lots of makeup. She has to put on more makeup. Very important. Yes, you and previous guest of the show, Elizabeth Horsley, uh, were like mm-hmm. buddy buddies. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. She, I was the gladiator, and she basically like did tricks in the background to get us money while I was out doing shiny gladiator stuff. Yeah. There may or may not have been thievery involved. Barbie didn't really care, as long as she got to hang out with her friends. And you were actually one of the original players as well, now that I'm thinking about it. Our friends Cameron and Laura and Elizabeth and Michael and my wife Casey. You know, you all got to actually explore the Levitating Platter as an in-game location. And I know for the podcast, it's like the kind of the theme, the idea is like, oh, this podcast is like the Levitating Platter. It's like interdimensional Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. So just kind of thinking on about that, like fond memories of the Levitating Platter and that game and stuff overall. Yep. Yep. And I also remember the place that the levitating platter was like spoofily based on where I also hung out with you guys very briefly, but I can't stay up too late. So I never hung out long. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Based on the flying saucer. Yeah. My version Mm -hmm. with levitating platters and everything. Yep. Yeah. With this podcast, you know, it's all about Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, as we've been bantering back and forth, I think it's pretty easy to say, but do you currently or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons before? Hmm, Let me think. Well, it all started a long time ago. Um, <laughs> actually, can I give like general RPG experience? Which is sure. Yeah. Okay. So it actually, for me, RPG started in high school. Um, I started out with text-based RPGs with some friends of mine. We would either pass notebooks back and forth or email back and forth. Actually, I'm pretty sure I started that in like fifth grade, but I remember doing it a lot in high school and we would wow. each make a character and then we'd write what they did in the story. And then I skipped tabletopping and went straight to LARPing, which is called live action role play when I was in college. Shameless mm. plug for adventurers wanted. Um, that's the LARP that my friends in college started. So I skipped the whole tabletopping thing because they would start at like 10 or 11 at night when I was in college, my friends. And that's when I was going to bed. Um, I've always been old. So anyway, <laughs> don't tell anyone I'm not old. Okay. I'm actually quite young. Um, I'm going to be young until I'm 96, I decided. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> So I skipped tabletop, went straight to LARPing. And then when I started attending and you said that you were going to start a D&D campaign, I was like, oh my gosh, it's the step that I missed. And so that's how I that's how I got in with your D&D campaign. I was like, oh, this is what I kind of wanted to do, but I was always too sleepy. And you played in the daytime, which worked much better for me. <laughs> yep. And then since your game, I haven't actually done much RPG, but I was recently the best man person, woman at, um, at a wedding for my friend, Alex, but the wedding was during the pandemic. So everything was all virtual. Like I couldn't even attend the wedding. And so I had to do the bachelor party virtual. And so I made, there's no way that I could ever DM a D and D campaign. That is way too much like 
numbers and math. I don't do numbers. So I invented my own homebrew system called RPGZ because it's an easy RPG where it has a completely different, like everyone just has a set of dice. And then when you do, when you roll for anything, you just roll, you pick one of the dice and roll against the other person. And if you lose, then your dice goes on like the other side of your sheet and you've like lost that dice until you get healed. Oh, interesting. Okay. It was like way easier to DM, but oh my gosh, I have such mad respect now for you, Kurt, and all the work that you put into for DMing because like that was really hard. And I did a one shot with like not even D&D rolls. So mad, mad, mad respect for you. Yeah, you can definitely get lost down a rabbit hole with world building and creating a a world and a story. A good recent guest of the show, Super Geek Mike from YouTube, you know, has a YouTube channel he's running and currently right now he's doing a series of where he generated some random characters and then he wrote up the random backstories of those characters. And then I think the third video he just released was like, okay, now I'm taking the place of the game master, the DM, and now I have to look at all these backstories and figure out like, okay, how am I going to shape this campaign? campaign. So I think like individuals like him and Matt Colville and some of these other Ginny D and all these other great individuals out on YouTube and elsewhere are doing really great job in educating and helping to lower that barrier to entry for people. So if they want to DM, you know, they don't have to feel like, oh, I have to be perfect or like I have to be this level of caliber to do it. It's like, no, like everyone starts from the bottom. Like I can go back to my fourth edition days in college where even running my first game, getting to the boss fight and my players being like, oh, well, if we hadn't have figured out that one specific way to beat the villain, there would have been no way for us to beat the villain. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, no, I need to be I need to be more considerate and thinking of these kinds of things and learning lessons, valuable lessons in our game, how to make sure you manage inter-party dynamics, safety tools, and all those other kinds of things that are like more prevalent in the conversation of the hobby now that maybe weren't as much back when we were starting and trying to like get our footing and find our groove and stuff like that. So yeah, it's all a learning experience, I'd say. That's for sure. I think the hardest part for me was I was having them solve a mystery and then they asked questions I hadn't thought of. And so I had to quick on the spot, think of something that didn't conflict with the later plot. And like, I definitely like messed something up, but luckily the other groomsman, Tim, when Alex asked a question and I was sort of inconsistent about it, the other groomsman, Tim, like covered for me. And I was like, thanks, man. (laughs) That's awesome. But it was great fun. And my husband, Michael, also helped with uh, voice acting. So because I was like, I can't do all these voices. And Michael was like, I got you covered. (laughs) So we had a great time. As you know, the name of this podcast is called Sidekicks and Side Quests. So we like to ask the question here. I didn't know that. Who happens to be one of your favorite NPCs? Whether they're from one of our games or just an RPG in general, maybe they're from a piece of literature, a film, television show, etc. And why is this character your favorite NPC or sidekick character? That's such a great question. Okay, so I think I'm going to have to go with at Adventures Wanted, there was a, a mod, which a mod is like, it's like a side quest, but it can actually be related to the big plot sometimes. But anyway, a mod is where you like go to a slightly off campsite location, like like away from the main campsite uh, and do a little mini adventure. And we had a mod where my character had to escape from a forced wedding. She had been kidnapped. And one of my friends played an absolutely hilarious wedding efficient and he just kept talking about the pink light of love and like we were just like cracking up and so now whenever any of us uh who were there at that event get married someone 
is going to make reference to the pink light of love. And it was just so funny that that just stuck in my head. I believe it was my friend Elliot who played it. I'm pretty positive. And then to go on the other side of the equation, what happens to be a favorite side quest of yours or a B-plot element, whether it's from tabletop game, RPG, movie film, television, etc.? And why has this side quest been your favorite? Another great question. I would say, okay, so typically I prefer side quests that move the plot forward or teach us something important about the characters, um, or ideally both, that would be great. But ironically, the favorite side quest that I've ever like experienced uh, did neither of these. This was also at Adventures Wanted. I had had kind of a bad weekend or like a bad week that week. And so my friends decided to give me uh, a good time and I got to be the dish fairy. And I was unleashed on the unsuspecting adventurers after meals. And I made all the players clean up their messes. And if they didn't comply or if the tavern was not clean enough, I'd throw soap darts and sponge cleaves at them and give them damage until they finished cleaning. So I basically got to scream and throw a temper tantrum and make my friends do chores. And it was awesome. (laughs) Are you sure you weren't channeling like a, a small toddler when you were portraying this character? I am not sure. I cannot confidently say I was not doing that. I was just throwing soap at everyone and screaming and yelling at them that they had to clean up. So like there could have been some toddler in there. It was a great time. It was super awesome. So that's the dish fairy. That's the dish fairy. Yeah, no, I was going to say that accurately. Well, not accurately, but it sometimes describes how my son acts if when he's told no or, you know, he doesn't get something his specific way, just like immediately Oscar worthy performance right there on the spot. You're like, ah, Daniel Day-Lewis, I did not know you were going to grace us with your presence today. Hand him a pair of wings, give him some soap to throw around. He's a dish fairy. And then uh, the final question that we ask here in the personal interview section is, what are you passionate about and why? I love that you asked that question, Kurt. I always like love hearing everyone's responses. So I passionately believe that every single human person has equal dignity and should be treated with respect, no matter their age, race, religion, ability, status, gender, pronouns, orientation, beliefs, what they've done or haven't done, how they feel about certain things. Regardless, they all have equal dignity. And so, for example, I'm trying really hard to be a neurodivergent affirming speech therapist. It's always a learning curve. I'm never going to be perfect at it but because I want to make sure that I'm affirming everyone's way of communicating and not just trying to make everyone conform to the way that I think they should communicate because I think everyone deserves respect. Does that make sense? Yeah. The other thing that I'm passionate about is interfaith dialogue. So I'm Catholic. And as you mentioned earlier, there's lots of types of Catholic and my husband is Byzantine Catholic. So I became Byzantine Catholic when I married him. Um, And I'm also trying to learn more about Ahmadiyya Islam from some close friends of mine in town. I've been to their mosque in Houston and the Ahmadiyya live by the phrase love for all hatred for none, which I think is a really good motto for everyone to live by. And I'm also, can I have a third one? Cause I'm, I like to talk. Yeah. You can have as many passions as you want. I'm not going to stop anyone from being passionate. Love it. Okay. The last thing I'm passionate about, probably not the last thing I'm passionate about, but the last thing I'll mention here, I'm really passionate about reducing elephant human conflict and conservation efforts that help elephants and the people who live near them because elephants are a keystone species that can help us slow climate change and save the planet. But we also have to take into account that they're not easy to live near. They're very large neighbors. And so we have to protect the people who live near them too. Yeah, I think I remember going to the Scarborough Fair here in the Dallas area and you would always get excited. You'd be like, oh, the elephants, we got to go see the elephants and go hang out with them and stuff. Yeah, a big elephant fan. 
Yes, I love elephants so much. And it's always so complex because I also know that a lot of people will be like, oh, but that means you support elephants in captivity, which is a really complex question. And I believe that people who have elephants in captivity, especially places like the Ren Faire, um, I've never met any of them that didn't really care about their elephants like a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And I know evidence bases are, are changing the way that we think that elephants in captivity should be treated, which is why I now uh, try to learn more about like elephant sanctuaries. And I mean, real elephant sanctuaries, not the ones where like they train the elephants to interact with people, but ones where they have like acres and acres of land and they don't have to interact with people except for the vets who come and do treatment with them. Um, so like the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee is a really good one. They're very research-based. The global elephant sanctuary in Brazil is very research-based. They were actually founded by some people who worked at the Tennessee one. Those are the two that I know of right now that the elephant researchers that I follow either helps to found them or actively promote them. So I know that they're kosher. But again, also, whenever I see elephants in captivity, I also know that the people who care for them are doing the very best that they can. So like people at zoos, even people who have elephants that still perform, I know that they have a really good relationship with their elephants as long as they're using evidence-based practice from like, at least from the 80s onward, there's been like a, a lot of revolutions in the way that humans interact with elephants. So it's a big, complicated conversation. I'm always learning about it too. So there are some things that I used to support that I'm like, oh, actually, we should probably move towards different practices now, just like all things in life, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it just has me thinking of like, you know, Hannibal's great march over the Alps to invade Rome. And then, you know, of, of course, with Tolkien and the Aldi fonts, which are like these fantastical gargantuan sized elephants. Everyone remembers in the Peter Jackson movie that like Legolas just gets to like Fred Flintstone, yabba dabba do off of a <laughs> off of one as he like brags to Gimli like. Look at the sweet kill shot I got. And Gimli's like, that still only counts as one. Yeah, I actually can't watch any of the scenes where the Oliphants are harmed. It makes me cry. So I have to like skip those scenes. Oh, okay. So I'm not actually positive. Like, I'm sure I saw it in the theaters and was like, ah! but um, did you know that in the Two Towers book, I'm pretty sure it's Two Towers, uh, Samwise stands up and makes this like great poem about Oliphants and he just like does some like improv slam poetry and it's yeah. like one of my favorite scenes on Lord of the Rings because Samwise is like the Oliphants are so amazing and then he like does this poem yeah I think I do remember reading that way back when when I first encountered like yeah he was just like so awestruck because he was like I've only heard stories about these things and now I'm seeing mm -hmm. one in real life so yeah and they're super amazing gotta write an epic poem Mm -hmm. Well, I've never written a good epic poem about elephants because they mostly leave me speechless, but I love elephants so much and I just want them all to be happy and healthy and well. There we go. I think that's a great way to end our personal interview section here with Kiki and now head into some NPC creation. And of course... NPC Creation is brought to you by you, uh, the podcast audience, and our patrons from Patreon. So now is the time in the show where we give a shout out to our comfortable patrons and above with a loud hurrah. So to you, our queen of the Patreon, Katie Downey, a.k.a. Goblin Katie, as well as our good, wealthy patrons, Anson Jablinski, Nicholas Cardarelli, and good old mom and dad, we say cheers. Again, these folks are donating at least $2 a month. You know, the majority of them, wealthy level, so that's $4. And of course, our queen, Miss Goblin Katie, is $10. It is but a drop in the bucket. Just a humble piece of copper in my little top hat on the sidewalk. So uh, if you want to learn more about these Patreon membership tiers, because all of these people get to introduce an element of chance to our random tables, which you might get to hear today, you want to find out more details, you want to 
get those sweet, juicy pieces of aristocratic level world building notes for me and all that good stuff, you should go to the show notes below. You should go to the podcast website or just go directly to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests to learn more details. Help us expand our operations in the levitating platter in this demiplane and worlds beyond. Okay. So in this part of the show, as you've already hinted that I'm sure you're an avid listener, you've heard every episode 10 times. I certainly can't thank you enough for adding to the download number counts. But uh, yeah, in this part, we get to make up a character. And I believe we've arrived on like a skeleton framework of a character we're working with. And then beyond that, we're going to uh, randomize with some of the other values. Is that correct? Yeah, I've got an idea and I have some of the details, but you might ask me questions that I don't know. But we'll see. Maybe I'll know all the answers to your questions and just be omniscient. Um, That's right. Yeah, we'll just see. Okay. All right. Well, if we're ready to begin, we always ask the question of what is the character's name? Okay. So this character is going to be named. (laughs) That was the character's name. Oh, the it's Gurgle. Her name is. And my goal is to not choke while doing that on this podcast. Since I'm a swallowing therapist, I should be able to manage it, but I can't promise. So if in common we had to write that down, would you just say that would be gurgle or gargle? I would probably write it as, how would I write it? Maybe like just a lot of G's and then like a little like funky bracket and say like gargly noise. Okay. All right. Interesting. You're definitely uh, setting the bar high on this one. So... (laughs) I mean, your niece made a character named OK Computer. Which was a name submitted by previous guest Beth May, which is in turn based off of a phrase from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and also happens to be the name of a Radiohead album. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's random, truly, on this podcast sometimes. I love it. Yeah. I love it. OK, so Gargle. Are you really not going to do it? I'm drinking beer over here while we're recording, so I don't know how well it's going to sound as a Gargle or if it's going to like be too bubbly. I don't know. We'll just see. I keep swallowing it. It's just too good. I keep drinking it. Okay, I got a little bit. All right. Excellent. Every time you refer to her, you're going to have to use that sound. She also goes by she, her pronouns. You can also use those. All right. Excellent. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm just thinking in the post edit, I'm just going to have to like copy that segment, copy paste it. Some go, whenever I mention this character by her name of. So that'll be probably really funny to listen to in the future. Or maybe I'll just use your audio bite. That might be better. So, <laughs> but we'll we'll just go with the assumption that I'm going to be smart about this, and I'm going to actually go and take the length of time to actually copy paste that all throughout the episode for us. Uh, so we're not having to potentially put ourselves in a harmful situation of uh, choking on beer or water or something like that. Well, technically, if we're going to be really accurate, we're not going to choke because it's liquid. We would just aspirate. And since we both perform regular oral hygiene by brushing our teeth every day and we're both fairly active and in good health, I don't think we're going to die from a little aspiration. Okay, then. Good to know. (laughs) I will trust the medical expert in this situation. (laughs) Well, now we have to figure out what our ancestry is so if you i know you said you were looking for like some kind of humanoid that maybe isn't like a normal perceived kind of adventurer type i can help you point you in the right direction of what you're looking for or if you just kind of want to do some random rolls on a d100 chart we can kind of see what we get from there okay it's up to you um i want a character an npc that typically players would imagine that they're going to have to roll for initiative when they meet her i need her to be able to speak 
because of the way she's going to communicate with them. Not because it's not because speech defines anything, just because I need this particular character to be able to speak with her mouth. Okay. Well, I'm just trying to think with sound effects. I mean, I know people, I just made the change with my homebrew that I made it depending on if you're a Kenku and you worship like one of the more begotten or like the good or neutral gods. It's like, yeah, you have like normal speech. It's fine. But if you worship one of like the more evil gods, like you do get like that kind of crow mimicky sort of like really like ah sort of sound like to your voice that you get more animalistic to the point where it is really hard for people to understand you unless maybe you, you know, you also worship the same God and you two can just go to go like ah, 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 to each other and you completely understand each other fine. But anyone else who listens to you is just like, oh, it's just like a bunch of bird sounds. Gotcha. Regardless of where you fall on the morality spectrum as a Kenku, you always have the mimicry ability. So I don't know, since we heard the name of. It sounds like with a name like that, Kenku might be an easy one because it's like, oh, like that's a mimicry sound that like a crow could make or something. Or if you're thinking like a goblin or an orc or a hobgoblin or something like that. I'm almost thinking Kenku might be better for this character. I'm going to avoid goblin just because. I feel then like I'm copying a little bit much Goblins comic. It's a really good comic, but there are some content warnings. It has some PG-13 material. Some of it is a little triggering for me, so I've skipped a couple of pages on it. What does a Kenku look like again? Kenkus basically look like they're size category small, and they look like anthropomorphic crow people. They look like little bird people. And as you may have mentioned before we started recording, that probably was among one of the first encounters you guys had with the games I ran where you went into the Mm -hmm. sewers and there was like a little nest of like these thieving, maybe Mm -hmm. not nice Kenkus that were like, oh, you found our fort and now we got to attack you because you found our nest. You found our gang hideout or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think that will work. Wait, what size are they? They're small, typically is what I think now the nomenclature would be like. They're typically small. I mean, I guess you could have a Kenku that, you know, has like some sort of genetic diversity that makes them like size category medium or something like that. But I think typically Kenkus are small. I'm down with small. Okay, so we got a small Kenku. Like a bird person. What is the job or role in society for her? Okay, so I want her to be a guru slash mystic. And I was thinking, cleric but then i was actually texting tim and alex the guys that i did the rpgz with and they were thinking maybe druid might be better for her so i think i'm gonna go with druid unless i keep going and you're like nah nah this sounds like cleric does that make sense yeah no that's fine a druid okay so a druid kenku named okay what is the age range of the character she's old like elder old like she has adult children who have adult children like a grandma. Yeah. Okay, so she's like grandma age. Yeah, like like she has adult children who have young adult children. Okay, not ancient. Like her children are probably in their like 50s if we're going by human years. And so mm-hmm. they have like kids who are like graduating from college type age. Obviously they're kinkus, so maybe not college. Maybe they're doing other things. But if you get to a certain point with druids, you uh, actually age slower. Yeah, so that, that's why I'm saying, like, that's if it's a human lifespan. So, like, I don't know how old she actually is, but she's she's old enough to have grandkids. Oh, yeah, and then the life cycles of Kenku are probably, you know, Different. like, you hatched from the egg, and then a couple years went by, and now you're ready to go on life on your own. And so elder by Kenku standards yes. is what we're yes. thinking. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Cool. 
And now, describe the physical appearance of... Okay, so she's old, but she has fairly good posture. So if she's a kanku, I'm trying to think. I guess, like, she'll wear, like, green robes, so you can't really see a whole lot of her physique. But she's somewhat slight. Tell me if I'm, like, describing a kanku wrong. But so she's got, like, a beak. So beak is beak. Mm -hmm. But then... The feathery part of her face, you can tell, like, the feathers are, like, graying, and, like, her face is a little saggy. She uses a wooden cane, and all her clothing is made of organic materials, but specifically vegan. Scratch the organic, vegan, because she's okay with metal. She doesn't care about metal. But no leather, because she's vegan. Um, She does allow for wool, but she doesn't wear it herself. If anyone asks her why she doesn't do leather or anything like that, Um, and why she's vegan, she says that intelligence does not define the value of a life. And in this world, there are many creatures with many ways of being. And who is she to say who deserves life and who deserves death? She gives kind of like Mm. a Yoda vibe from like Empire Strikes Back, like the like kooky, like, ha 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 ha, but then also with like some real serious undertones of like, oh, actually, she knows what she's doing. And she has important things to say. I was going to say, it sounds like Gargle's been listening to my friends over at the Dispel Magic podcast, because I'm pretty sure they did an episode of Speak with Animals, and they ran through the magic spell implications of like, you take on the face value of like, Speak with Animals as a spell, or Awaken, and it's like, basically now you've made all these like, sentient dogs or cows or wolves or chickens or whatever like that that are now like part of your society it's a fabulous episode and you know certainly it was like oh thought-provoking of that way of like because yeah people have different uh, opinions on this stuff like you know maybe to one person you know they don't bat an eye of like leather or hide armor you know even if it was uh, ethically sourced a steer that lived a life you know a life full of promise and hope and then got old and passed away and then okay now we make the hide armor or whatever out of the steer, something like that. And then some people that are like gargle that are like, well, no, I don't want to deal with any of that, but I look pretty cool in metal armor. So I I have no qualms about that. Even though druids are like metal. No, I prefer all natural stuff. And, but she takes it to like the next druid level. She's like, no, man, you can't use like natural stuff. You got to use like the natural from the earth, organic uh, minerals, metals stuff. Yeah, and like I think for herself, she would probably wear wood versus metal. Mm. Like she'd probably like have like if she was wearing armor, she would probably wear like carved wood armor that she has for herself. But you will not find any leather on her because she is vegan. Now I'm just waiting on the people to come into the the comments or the the whatever of the episode to be like, but wait a minute, trees are living, so she doesn't have a problem with wearing tree bark or whatever. Which is a great question. Um, and she's not going to harm. Like, I mean, it's actually really important for a lot of plants to be pruned. Mm-hmm. Like if you've ever tried to grow basil and you didn't prune it, it's going to die. You got to remove some of the mm-hmm. leaves. And so she's very in tune with the trees. And so she knows what branches she can take without harming the tree. Um, and she also obviously will take stuff that's already fallen. She's she's okay with that as long as it's not like, you know, gross and termite mm-hmm. Then she probably doesn't want to okay. wear termites. She doesn't want to be that kind of druid that utilizes uh, termites to like attack people and stuff like that. No, and you'll find out why soon. Oh, okay. All right. So any other uh, defining physical descriptions or characteristics we should be aware about for Gargle? So her eyes. Everyone wants to talk about eyes because the eyes are the window to the soul. We'll just say hers are green. Mm. It goes with the druid theme. So very on brand. 
And if you had to describe gargle with three adjectives, what three adjectives would you choose? Do I get extra points for alliteration? Of course. Sweet. No one's keeping score, but you get, yes, you get more no points. No one's keeping score? I Sorry. wanted to win today. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I did think of three that all have the same first letter, so let's alliterate. I said she's persistent, passionate, and peaceful. What is going to be a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that Gargle ascribes to? I know we talked about like, oh, maybe we'll do some dice rolling and randomization. And perhaps we have through the course of natural human discussion. But, you know, we do have dice tables that you can roll on if you're itching to try and, and see maybe what you get. OK, so I have an idea, but I don't know if like I kind of need your help with it. OK, so I want her to have like we're going to have to homebrew it. At least I'm pretty sure we're going to have to homebrew it. I want her okay. to have two spells that are very important for her character and one of them she does to everyone that she encounters all pcs and npcs that she encounters and the other one you earn mm, so okay. the one that she does to everyone every character that she like encounters and she has as her mm -hmm. guest she puts a spell on them and here is the effects of the spell you must attempt de-escalation before any kind of violence against any creature, and you must only fight in self-defense or in defense of someone who needs defending. I, I, I won't say that you have to be, quote, friends with them. If you just decide mm. to, like, jump in front of a bullet for a passing stranger, that's okay. But any attacks you make outside of those parameters, you will be disadvantaged. For how long? I don't know. I kind of needed your help with that. Like, I want it to be, like, forever, but, like, that seems a little overpowered. <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, like, yeah, well, forever. It's like, that sounds like a hag level curse or you've met like a demigod or like a god or something like that. And yeah. it's like, well, I'm going to permanently curse you now because you didn't do my will or whatever. Well, that's regardless of whether you do her will or not. So like, I don't know you, I guess that can be up to the DM to decide because she's definitely not a demigod. She's a Kenku. And like, I don't want her to be like a goddess of any kind. I want her to be like perceived as a monster, like something that you would find in the monster manual. So I guess we can leave that up to DMs to decide how long that will last. Does that seem reasonable to you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, initially I was going for like a calm emotions because I know that's like a pretty that's like a low level spell. Like, okay. like, oh, like just regardless of whoever she meets, she's like, calm emotions and like everyone's like just mellowed out whenever they meet her and stuff like that but this sounds like too specific of a thing yeah this um, is and it's so intrinsically tied to her yeah i might do it for like the day okay like a day is reasonable because okay. like unless you're going to stay with her longer maybe mm -hmm. she upcasts it or whatever like that and okay. depending on how many more levels above you do it it lasts for like longer and longer periods of time maybe okay you know, basic level is like a day. Okay, mm -hmm. she bumps up to the next level, it's going to be a week. Okay, mm -hmm. she bumps it up to another level beyond that, it's a month. And then, okay, then a quarter, then half the year, and then the entire year. And then, I don't know if she could ever get it up to a super high level, but, you know, maybe multiple years or something beyond that. Before you have to, like, meet her again, and then she has to, like, redo. It. Like, I have to, I I to re-up your subscription. Yeah. I have to re-up your annual subscription, yeah. uh, you know, for this spell. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. I would say my only thing is she's old and she's a druid, so she's been at it for a while. So I kind of feel like she can do it for more than a day at the get go. But I hear what you mean. So like for balance purposes. Yeah, yeah. So that she's not just like totally wildly repaired. Okay. And then 
if you accept her quest, she will give you, for the same amount of time that you're following the de-escalation thing and only attacking in defense, like not actually attacking, but only defending, for the duration of that time, if you accept her quest, you will have an advantage on all like charisma and persuasion type checks. Didn't know if there was like another, like a viable object, there was some piece of lore or a secret or something that she had. You want me to roll for it? Sure. Yeah. If you want to roll for it. I know my tables have been waiting for this. So okay, cool. you would roll a D4 first for the category and then a D6 for the particular thing. Cool. Do I have veto power if I'm like, no, that's going to mess with her character? Sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let me get my D4. All right. Let me roll. Didn't land on my little table there. Okay. I got a three. Okay, so that's a secret. Okay. And now a D6. And now a D6. Oh, and just so you know, I know your listeners can't see, but my D6s are from my friend Alex, and they have an elephant in the place of the one. See how pretty? Were those dice that you used when we would play in person mm-hmm. back in the yielding days? Yep. Oh, yeah. I think I thought I recognized yep, yep. those dice. Okay, so I'm going to roll my D6. We'll see what I get. I got a four. Four. Okay, this answer was provided by previous guest Lauren Walsh, famous critter artist. So Gargle would be in debt for an insurmountable amount of gold to a dragon. Interesting. Does this conflict with the character as you've envisioned her? A terrible secret. She's in debt for an insurmountable amount of gold to a dragon. I mean, I think I might be able to make that work. I think I might be able to make that work. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So let's explore that. What is that? How does that, how did this come to be? Is this why she's so invested in being vegan and being calming and peaceful? Because like every time the agents show up coming to collect, she's like, call me, call me, call me. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. We're cool. Actually. Sends the minions away empty handed. I hear that. She used the gold to do something noble, like build an orphanage or like revitalize a local economy. And the dragon's like, what? You did what? Oh, no. Now you owe me big. And she's just like, no, no, no. It's fine. We don't worry about this. Okay, maybe, maybe. I, I think <laughs> I know how she got it, though. Sure. Yeah. I think what you've said is actually will fit really nicely. So that's social like calm whenever the dragon sends someone and the dragon's like, fine, whatever. Um, but then keeps coming back. So she got the gold or whatever it is, the metal, because her goal is she's basically like the D&D equivalent of like denuclearize, but she takes it very seriously. And she her goal is to collect all weapons and turn them into farming tools, swords into plowshares. Oh, swords into plowshares. That's her goal. Ah, mm-hmm. Okay. So if the dragon had any weapons in their horde her and her family totally could have snuck in there grabbed all the valuable weapons and then taken them and turned them into tools that can be used for good so it doesn't necessarily have to be farming equipment it can be other things but just like helpful non-violent shields she's super cool with shields armor's fine Mm -hmm. no problem with that I'm just imagining like this was the fabled legendary plus three sword and you melted it down and turned it into a bucket. Yeah, that sounds exactly right. You broke it down into residuum and then just like plain metal. And now it's like, oh, this used to be like a holy Avenger. But now it's like uh, it's just a, a garden hoe is all it is yeah. now. Oh, boy. Yeah, I could see why players might be annoyed with this character of like, you mean to tell me <laughs> you found a legendary weapon. And you turned it into shears? Yes. 
All right, so yeah, the insurmountable amount of gold would obviously be all these legendary magic items that she is somehow coming to possession of and is just turning it into residuum or melting it down into something mm-hmm. else. You know, like, oh, this platinum set of uh, barber's tools I have is uh, really nice. It's like, oh, where'd you get these? It's like, I don't know. That nice little gargle woman just, you know, gifted me this set. She said it came from something really dangerous, but now I could give everyone great haircuts mm-hmm. in town or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. And and she's definitely made a golden helmet of Bambino. Golden helmet of Bambino. There can be no hat like the 20 points of each of the reference. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I can't think of Men it. of La Mancha. It's also a really great episode in the Don Quixote, like the actual book, which is a lot less serious than the Men of La Mancha musical, if you ever get a chance to read it. Also, lots of content okay. warnings on Don Quixote, the book. There's a lot of stuff that happens in that book. Golden Helmet of Bambino is, the story is, I'll tell the book version because it's hilarious. But I mean, the, the, the musical version is not too far off, actually. Don Quixote, like, so he, he like finds this dude, this barber who has like a basin that he uses. And if you have a chance, like go listen to the song Golden Helmet of Bambino from Man of La Mancha because it is so funny. The barber has his own lines and it's awesome. The premise of the book is that Don Quixote, from reading too many like night adventure novels, his brain got deluded into thinking that everything is a night adventure, which is why he thinks that the uh, windmills are giants. That's one that everyone remembers. But he sees this barber with this like barber's basin that has like, and he's like, that is the golden helmet of Bambino. And then he like fights the barber for his barber basin and then wears the barber basin as his helmet for the rest of the book. She's cool with armor. She's cool with shields, but anything else, she's going to turn it into a mundane item that can help the common folk. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, almost, almost always. There are certain circumstances where she won't. Is she sitting on a pile of residuum? I know that was a thing that was introduced in fourth edition that was like, Hey, if your players don't like this magic item you gave them, there's basically a a thing that you can do that just like converts it from a material object into like this green powder. And then you can use that green powder with gold to turn it into the magic item you want was the explanation they gave. And some fifth edition has kind of brought it back in. So notably in the critical role campaign, the very first story that was like Whitestone was sitting on residuum and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of weaved its way through the other campaigns that they've been doing. But yeah, like Residuum, I'm pretty sure is like an invention, maybe from fourth edition. It could be older. I don't know. Don't quote me on it. Word. That sounds good. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think that's what it is? Like, you know, or do you think like she's just like going through with like melting it down, like blacksmith tools and smelting and melting it down and like hammering it out into different things? That's kind of what I imagined. But I mean, that's up to interpretation. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, with a magic item, you know, it's got like inherent qualities to it that make it pretty hard to damage or change, even with an artifact or something like that. So does she have like some sort of like magic blacksmithing tools that allow her to shape items into other items? Sure. That sounds great. Let's go with that. Something that perhaps she took from this dragon horde when she was stealing all the weapons. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay, that's how we improv our way. That's how we yes and our way through this podcast. Okay, bit of a better understanding of Gargle and her motivations and how she does that as far as the secret is and then how that plays out. So now with all this information in mind, what is going to be a particular quest that Gargle would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do on her behalf? Her daughters used to be on the same mission as her to turn swords into plowshares, but then her daughters 
got into a big fight. And now they're not turning swords into plowshares. They're hoarding swords and fighting each other and each other's families. And so she wants to recruit the player to reconcile her daughters and get them back onto the nonviolence campaign. The trick is no weapons. When you first encounter her, she removes your weapons from your person and she'll try to remove leather items and like non-vegan items from you as well. But all your weapons are confiscated for the duration of the thing, the quest. There we go. I knew that word. And so that's why she gives you an advantage on all persuasion and charisma checks because you will have to use those. You cannot use any violence. If you use any violence against any of her family members, then you're probably going to die because they're extremely armed and you are not armed. Wow. Okay. So we're really going into some, I don't know, funhouse dungeon territory, but definitely like Doctor Who-esque level sorts of a side quest here of like, oh, I'm just going to strip you of your leather and your weapons and all this stuff. And now I'm going to send you out to go basically face the Kenku Hatfields and McCoy situation here. And you have to be like a SWAT FBI negotiator and get them to stand down and end their feud yep. uh, in order to get all your stuff back. Yep. Okay, so with the side quest in mind, you go there. It's an interlude. It's not a combat encounter. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's designed mm-hmm. to be. So what is going to be the reward for success? So you successfully convince these sisters to stop their feud, to lay down their arms, and to return to the program that their mom had set forth. What is going to be the reward when the players come back and report on their success? She'll give them their weapons back, but only if they promise to do good and not evil and to defend and not fight. She's basically holding their weapons for ransom. So not any other benefit to the players. It's more of just like a, hey, you kind of helped me out thing and the world's a better place from her perspective. And the players are like, well, that was, we just got sucked into this whole divergent tangent here. And now it's like, obviously aside from experience or whatever else, but like no other benefits or material gains to be had for the players from Gargle herself. They continue with the, pledge of de-escalation first and no attacking only defending then she would continue to bestow upon them the advantage on persuasion and charisma checks but i don't know if that's like kosher with D rules yeah because i was gonna say now that sounds like she's getting more into like arch fey warlock pack stuff in one interpretation it's like Oh, so now suddenly this Kenku, this unassuming Kenku, you know, who is an altruistic force of good now has become some sort of like warlock patron. And now you can, if you wanted to tap into levels of warlock patronage, well, now this sounds like a, a character that you could use for that. Yeah, that's, that the- sounds good to me. And now we have to consider the opposite. So what's going to be the consequence of failure should the players refuse the side quest or like you stated, they decide to use violence. You know, they tried all their words and darn it, these sisters are just being too stubborn. I'm going to go knock some sense into them. What's going to be the consequence of that option? When they get back, their weapons will have been turned into buckets. This is like 1970s Dungeons and Dragons where you're just messing with your players. Like, yeah, all that hard work you did to get that magic sword. Well, good luck fighting monsters with a bucket now. (laughs) Yep. Oh, boy. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let Let me rephrase. If they refuse, she just doesn't give them back. And she's like, I'm going to turn these into buckets. And she's powerful enough that they're not going to be able to get them back and don't know where they are. If they choose to use violence, she immediately turns them into buckets. Yeah, so basically, never mind. She just turns them into buckets either way. Buckets. 
oh, we just thought like this was like a nice, powerful druid. It's like, no, I think pretty much like she is like an archfey at this okay, point. Okay, I'm down with being like. an archfey. That's fine. Just as long as she can turn their weapons into buckets if they don't comply with her demands. Okay, so then they're out weapons and now they're just, yeah. So sometimes you just have to imagine for every contingency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some party out there being mad that like an archfey is taking all their high level gear or whatever and now they're going to fight an archfey but they're going to be missing their stuff oh which well does she take bags of holding yeah oh yeah anything that could have any kind of weapon and if they try to fight her she takes their armor so she just goes for the weapons first Mm -hmm. and bags and then beyond that if it escalates then she takes armor man yeah no i could just imagine Probably nine times out of ten, this is going to infuriate players. So, like, but if they do what she wants, they'll get their weapons back, and she'll probably give them the stuff back too with a lecture. For me, it's easier to imagine the worst case scenarios happening, and just like you know, the players getting super angry, super aggro, real fast because they're like, "You don't understand what I went through. I had to go through five levels of a dungeon. I nearly died four times just to get this thing." Only for you to pop up and then just steal this thing from me would be like the player's perspective. Yeah, but you're using it for violence. She does not tolerate that. Well, I know a previous guest of mine said, oh, they're Kenku, Corvus, the Arbiter of Order and Chaos. One of his player characters described that particular character as more terrifying and powerful than an ancient red dragon. I don't know. Maybe Gargle is going to put Corvus, again, another Kenku, run for his money. We'll see in the next segment called The Random Encounter. This random encounter is brought to you by my sponsor, Zencaster. Now, what is there to say about Zencaster that already hasn't been said? Well, I want to just tell you how critically important Zencaster is to me now as a podcast creator. You know, when I started in the early days of the podcast, I was using platforms like uh, Skype. I was using Zoom, some other ones that friends would maybe have me be a guest on. But ultimately, it was... Something that I had to work around, like Skype maybe wasn't the best quality. Zoom, after a while, made it so that instead of going for as long as you wanted, they started enforcing the hard 40 minutes. And so I would have to record only for 40 minutes and then tell the guest, oh, I'm sorry, you have to come back into the call in order to get it to work. So it just felt very unprofessional. It felt clunky. I do take pride in the humble origins of this podcast just being put together with duct tape and bubble gum and just goodwill and spirit. But, you know, I've taken the time I've invested in myself. And I think, you know, as my good buddy Anson says, good Patreon supporter, that it is worth it to invest in the tools that will help you get the job done and help you to see good quality. And that's why I really like Zencaster. It is easy. It's so easy. It's now super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. I just have to log in with my browser and I start recording a high quality podcast right away. I can record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with my guests. I know I don't record the video for my podcast, but I do show it so at least we can look at each other for those non-verbal cues. You can feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have your recordings and the highest quality, even if the connection is unstable. Absolutely true. Hard sell on this point. Absolutely yes. You can sound your best. Have you ever worried about what you would sound like? Why Zencaster's post-production processes make it so you sound buttery smooth. 
it automatically removes the ums and ahs in your recording and it removes those awkward pauses in conversation too. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Now, this is something that I haven't quite gotten on with Zencaster because I do like being learned in the ways of audacity and being able to manually manipulate the podcast editing myself. I do take a point of pride in that. But you know what? If Zencaster tools are going to make it that much easier for me and save me time and effort and headache on editing the podcast, then I don't know. I might have to change the way that I do things and I might have to start editing on the Zencaster platform itself. Because it is all in one. If you have thought about podcasting before and you realize that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. Those days are done. You don't need to worry about it anymore. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create the podcast that you want all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple, and all other major destinations. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code side. KQ podcast, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all of my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Again, thank you so much to the sponsor and back to the podcast. Okay, so now we're here in the random encounter, which means we get to do a little bit of a role play, a little bit of a vignette, a scene uh, with the NPC that's been made here today. So the question becomes, what kind of scene are you interested in? I believe you're leaning towards Gargle meeting one of my podcast adventurer characters. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, your tiefling that you've used a couple of times recently sounds interesting. Oh, you think Agape on the hot streak should be the one to meet Gargle? Sure. Let's do it. All right. So she wakes up. Didn't realize that she had fallen asleep, but she wakes up and she finds herself in a really comfortable room inside of like a grove of trees. It's like a tent with like cotton tent flaps, I guess. Uh, She's propped up on pillows and any damage that she had is now healed. She feels refreshed like she's just had the best sleep. She notices that all of her weapons are gone. And if she had any leather items or other non-vegan items, does she carry beef jerky around? Anyway, that's also gone. Um, Wool is fine if she has wool, it's fine. And honey is fine. There's a pot of warm tea and a delicious looking vegan meal on a table in the room, probably like some tofu with mushrooms on rice or something and like a delicious smelling sauce. And the door of the room is just a cloth tent flap and it isn't closed tightly. Okay, so after having encountered the five-sided fates, this legendary group, the aspects of fate itself, creation, morality, chaos, love and death, you know, she encountered them all and through the journey of it, found a way to kind of find this balance between embracing the wild magic sorcerer that she is along with the archfey pact that she has. So she now feels like this huge surge of confidence in her abilities, and perhaps she doesn't have to worry about the wild magic taking her by surprise. Instead, it's now more of like she can choose for it to happen, and perhaps she can like direct the wild magic to like work in her favor rather than it being so chaotic, but I'm sure it'll be chaotic every once in a while because that's how the fates are. Mm. So she wakes up, uh, she sees she's on these, uh, this, this bed and these pillows and she looks over her equipment and, you know, she does wear like basic, you know, like adventuring clothes and robes and stuff like that. And she did have leather armor and stuff, but 
she's like, oh, my armor's gone. You know, she wiggles her toes and like, oh, she doesn't have boots on anymore. You know, maybe she had some like basic weapons, but I don't think she had really kitted herself out with any like heavy duty weapons. But she's looking around for stuff in her bag and she's like kind of panicking as well. Like, hey, where's all my stuff? What I just had this wild encounter happen with something otherworldly and now I'm poofed back somewhere else. But she'll see the meal and she'll just kind of call out like, uh, hello? Hello? What What's going on? Where's my stuff? I just had a whole slug out, drag down, knockout encounter trial with the five sides of fate and uh she flexes her hand and she sees some of her warlock powers flare up and then maybe she does like another bit of sorcery magic on her other hand and she's like okay so that that's good all right but she's calling out and she's like what what is going where am i what is going on where is my stuff oh and then she like sees the food and she's like oh i guess i am pretty hungry and then she'll just start loudly eating the food, forgetting and not realizing like how famished she actually is. And then I guess she'll hear a voice from outside the tent and the voice will say, are you finding the food to your liking? <clears throat> she'll swallow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really good. She'll finish picking up the bowl and I guess she'll walk over to the tent flap and just kind of like push it aside. But you see her, she's still like shoveling mouthfuls of food into her mouth and kind of like looking around to see who is talking. And then with a mouthful of food, she's like, where's all my stuff? <laughs> so when she opens the tent flap, she finds herself at a campfire in a larger circle of trees. Um, there's other like tents around the campfire. And stoking the fire is a kenku in green robes, an old lady kenku with gray feathers on her face, humming to herself Yoda style. And, uh, when she sees, uh, what's the name of your tiefling? Agape. Agape, thank you. That's right, the ironic name. And the Kenku smiles, if Kenkus can smile, and if not, she like makes some kind of gesture that makes them look like she's happy. <laughs> and she says, good morning, my welcome guest. And are you still hungry? You'll need to be strong before you go on your way. She looks confused, and I mean, you put forward the offer of food, and so she'll say to the effect of like, well, I, I'm not one to refuse a meal, but, you know, seeing her in the sunlight now, you see she's like this lilac-colored tiefling, and so she's like, yeah, well, uh, hmm. <clears throat> she'll just plop down, I guess, next to her at the campfire, and so she'll just keep shoveling food into her mouth, and she's just kind of like muttering, and she's like, Burr my stuff. That was a crazy fight I had to do. <laughs> the Kenku just keeps serving her more like rice and mushrooms and sauce. She laughs and she says, ah, to get your weapons back, you will have to do me a favor. A favor, huh? And she'll wipe her mouth clean with like the back of her sleeve or something like that. And she'll be like, okay, well, what what do I got to do to get my stuff back? Now that requires a little story. Oh? It all started long ago. So my name is... And for a long time, my whole family has worked with me to turn all swords into plowshares. But my two daughters... And... 
and their families lived in peace on this mountainside, each family with their farm on one side of the mountain. And they had joined me on my quest and we were finding all the weapons in the world and turning them into farming equipment and useful things, um, stealing weapons from adventurers. But then adventurers in the area heard that our family was hoarding weapons. So of course they assumed that because we are Kenku, we were just monsters hoarding the weapons for ourselves. They never imagined that we were converting them into peaceful tools to help us feed passing travelers. Then one day a greedy group of adventurers caught my daughter by surprise and threatened her wife and children. So helped them to defeat and afraid for the lives of her children and completely overpowered, then was fighting against her sister. And the adventurers were disturbed to find that didn't have any weapons at all. They just had farm tools, but the damage had been done. So now and are furious with each other and refuse to cooperate, stealing from each other and attacking each other's families. But you, brave adventurer, are invited to go and make peace between my daughters. But you must not use any kind of violence. If you do, you will surely be overpowered. You must rely on your skills of persuasion and charisma to win them over, to forgive each other, and return to our non-violent way of life. Hmm. She listens attentively to the tale, and, you know, she's Take it aback. She's just speaking, but maybe perhaps she interprets it as a bit of a theatrical performance. And she'll take in the story and she'll be like, hmm, well, I mean, it sounds awful that your daughters are, are fighting each other, that they're feuding. But um, I don't know. It's like, I feel like I could have done a better job if you hadn't taken my stuff. Be warned. They are heavily armed. Fighting them at any time is foolish. But if you choose to accept my quest, then you will be advantaged every time you seek to persuade or use logic or even charm or charisma to help them to see that nonviolence is the correct way. Hmm. But be aware, regardless of whether or not you accept my quest, you must attempt de-escalation before you harm any creature. You must attempt de-escalation before any act of violence, and you must only fight in defense of yourself or of some other being. Any attacks you make outside of those parameters, you will be disadvantaged. Hmm. She looks at you keenly, narrowing her eyes, and she asks you a question to basically mean, I am going out on a limb here and assuming that you could probably tell that I have a certain patron in Prosperina, pretty powerful archfey, if you don't know her already. Are you, are you, are you, do you know Prosperina? Are you, you, your friends? Maybe I could just tell Prosperina to chat with you. We could just chalk this up to a misunderstanding. And then, you know, I could get my stuff back and I can work, you know, work out the, the smoothing over to the tensions and stuff like that. Prosperina and all the archfey are very aware of my quest. And they are very aware that interfering does not go well for them. Mm. She definitely looks peeved in that uh, she perhaps tried to use her charisma to outwit you, but it didn't seem to work. And so she'll just kind of like sigh and be like, okay, well, I mean, I guess if I could take on the five fates, then this shouldn't be too hard to do without any. She like looks down at her bare feet, which are human feet, not hooves. 
I guess if I could just do this with my words and not with, she looks at her hands to do magic-y powers and she'll say, look at you and then depower her hands and be like, do it without powers, then okay, 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 fine, fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. The arch phase, I've been surrounded by chaos my whole life. I've just now had a taste of being able to manage it or at least control it in a way that it doesn't overwhelm me. And I seem to have been given another test now with my newfound trials having been recently completed. Okay, fine. You know what? I'll do it. I'll do it. Will that make you happy? Yes. Thank you. If you would like some shoes, I can provide you with some moccasins that are made of cotton. Yes. I could make you wooden shoes, but most people don't like them very much. They're not very comfortable. So you can have some cotton slippers. She'll actually say, I'll I'll take my chances with the wooden shoes. Okay. A little more firm under the feet. Give me like an hour. I'll get them ready for you. You just keep eating. So then uh, Agape will continue to sit there and shovel food into her mouth, drink fresh water after her anime level fight that she had against the five-sided fates. And she'll just kind of sit here. And as she's sitting and eating, she's going to kind of have this side conversation going on with Prosperina and basically getting filled in on the details from Prosperina's perspective on this. And so as the camera pans out uh, from the campsite as Agape's eating and uh, having this conversation, before you know it, Agape will be on the road to defuse some tensions. And scene. There we go. So yeah, what'd you think of getting to be in that scene? She's a fun character. I hope people aren't too annoyed by her voice or her affinity for buckets. Yeah, no, I can only imagine like what would happen deploying this character into a game with people and seeing how they would react to a character uh, like this, but could probably definitely go a long way to spice up an otherwise uh, routine game session. Yeah, I figure it'll just like be a different direction. Oh, also, if they can prove to her that they failed in good faith and did not use any violence and they're able to prove it somehow, mm-hmm. then she might have conveniently not made their weapons into buckets. Maybe. Mm. Okay. But they're going to have to like roll real high on like persuasion and charisma, which they should still have advantage on if they have not broken the pact. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And uh, yeah, so we're starting to get here into our final thoughts section of the show. Generally, I like to just check in with everyone and see what their experience was like on the podcast. I know it's been a while since we've had the opportunity to talk. You know, life has been busy and all this stuff, you know, so it's been good to obviously catch up and stuff like that. But in now hearing that, like, yeah, you've been a listener and you've obviously contributed to the podcast in great and small ways over the years. But how has it been now behind the screen in the hot seat, if you will, uh, as being a guest on the show? I've never been on a podcast before. It was well, very you exciting. Go. You're a very gracious host. Thank oh. you for having me. Oh, of course. Not a problem. Yeah. So are you going to get inspired now to do a podcast of your own? You caught the bug? No, I don't think so. I do enough interviewing for journalism and I like being able to think about it and write about it. Ah, okay. Fair enough. I don't know. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> sure, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, you do a great job. I just know it's a lot of work. Yes, it is. Yes. And uh, lots of learning and allowances that you give yourself along the way of like, you know, I can maybe let a few more filler words slip through if it means that I can actually get a good night's sleep instead of yeah. uh, staying up till ridiculous hours nitpicking mm-hmm. every single episode. 
All right. Yeah. So, you know, as uh, you know, we're, we're starting to wind down, you know, any other concluding thoughts you have, if not, you know, I always leave the stage, the microphone, the soapbox, the platform over to the guests. So if there's any social media that you want to share, be found upon, if there's any uh, blogs or articles that you do, any projects you work on or any passions or causes that we need to be made aware of, go ahead and let us know, lay it on us. Okay. Well, I'm not super great at the internet. A stormtrooper once asked me if I was from the past, and I do think the answer is yes. Um, but I do have an Instagram, and it is speaking with Kiki. That's speaking with K-I-K-I. I'm all in word. I, I'm regularly published online for my freelance writing job, but it's not all in one place because one of the places I write for is a wire service, like AP News, but for Catholics, it's called OSP News. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I do keep a list of my articles on what was once a blog and is now an archive website, which is speakingwithkiki.blogger.com, I think. And then if you click the writing tab, but that's like a really old website. So probably just follow me on Instagram or whatever. Um, oh, oh, and if uh, if any of your listeners are on NaNoWriMo, please send me a buddy request. I am speaking with Kiki. That's again, speaking with K-I-K-I -I on NaNoWriMo. And I'm super excited for NaNoWriMo 2023. I'm prepping now. So if anybody's on NaNoWriMo and wants to be a buddy, send me a buddy request because I'm always looking for more NaNoWriMo buddies. Is that like some sort of like writing thing or what oh. is it? Oh, I'm so delighted that you are asking what is NaNoWriMo because you're going to love it. It's called National Novel Writing Month, and it was started, I think, in like 2009, but I've only been doing it for a couple of years. It's a nonprofit organization, and they do a whole lot of like education for writers. They have like a young writers program. They're always supporting like indie bookstores, and they're very, very good about diversity, equity, and inclusion they frequently have like events for writers of color and LGBTQIA plus writers. They've got like talks and free writing materials online. So anyone who is an aspiring fiction writer, like NaNoWriMo is a really, really great place to start. They have like a podcast. They've got all kinds of things. So um, if you go to NaNoWriMo.org, all of their resources are found there. If you want to do the official NaNoWriMo challenge, um, you can't, you don't have to, but you can sign up on the NaNoWriMo website and you like make an account and then you like put in your word count each day and then it like tracks your progress. And if you're buddies with someone, then they can also see your progress and you can check in with each other and send each other messages like you can do it, like write the next chapter. And it's, it's like a little like social media for writers, but it's like very low key. Mm. You don't have to like be super public or anything, which is why I like it because I'm not very good at being super public. Well, there we go. Yeah. So Kiki, well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Can't wait to have you back on uh, making even more interesting NPCs. Yay. Thank you so much. You are such a gracious podcast host. I hope you have a great day and hi to your family. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and SideQuests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Overcast, or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. If you don't like using podcast apps and services, I'm proud to announce that I'm in the process of uploading the podcast to our very own dedicated YouTube channel, which you can find by searching for Sidekicks and Sidequests. All future episodes should automatically publish to our YouTube channel. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up-to-date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and the corresponding threads, Twitter, now rebranded X, and Reddit, 
by searching for Side KQ Podcast. You can now also find a very tiny community on Discord as well. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art, stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you'd like to hail the bard, simply send me an email at sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes, five stars if you please, to help spread the word and share our podcast with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. As mentioned in the NPC creation section of the show, I do in fact have a Patreon for the podcast. If you love this podcast and you want to help support us and take our show to the next level, I would appreciate it if you would go to patreon.com forward slash sidekicks and sidequests. No matter your lifestyle expenses, we have wonderful rewards at every level of Patreon membership tier. Modest, comfortable, wealthy, and aristocratic accommodations await, and we welcome all patrons to the Levitating Platter. Seriously, your financial support allows for this passion project to continue to invest in itself through the tools that will take our production to the next level, as well as provide more content for our patrons and the community at large. Please consider supporting me on Patreon if you can. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast. Copyright Wizards of the Coast LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Like